Uh, If you have your Bibles this morning, our assignment is Exodus 24. Uh, So you can go to Exodus 24. Uh, We want to send well wishes to our lead pastor, my dear brother Brian Crawford and his family uh, as they are away for a quick recharge. Uh, Family, if you're watching this morning, Brian Candy, Brian and Elijah, uh, your City Light family, collectively send to you uh, our love and our well wishes, and uh, we pray God would refuel you and recenter you and bring you safely home to us as we do miss you uh, when you're away, as we miss all our family when they're uh, not with us. Amen. How many enjoy receiving junk mail? Anybody? No, nobody likes receiving junk mail. So I take it that none of us actually read it. Did anybody actually read it before you throw it in the trash or send it through the shredder? No. I used to be a lot more bothered uh, by junk mail or unsolicited mail than I am uh, now. Uh, Being a real estate agent, I do from time to time uh, send out postcards to houses around those that either I have listed or that I have sold in hopes that somebody in those houses around them would be interested in selling their property and would see that uh, unsolicited mail, that junk mail, and they would call me to sell their house. Uh, So being that I'm now kind of the one being sending out the junk mail, you know, I'm I'm a little more gracious when I receive it. Um, So I actually read it now. Uh, Most of it still ends up in the trash or in the shredder, but at least their message has been received. Uh, That's the biggest thing. I I just thought about how much money it actually costs to mail that stuff out, knowing that people are just going to throw it in the trash. Costs a lot of money, a lot of money. My favorite junk mail, though, are the exclusive offers. You've seen these, right? The exclusive offers, whether it's the $40,000 check good only at this special sales event towards the purchase of a new or used car always and only with your trade-in. Or uh, recently, my wife and I received a special invitation for uh, a free steak dinner, which is great. We didn't go, but I like steak. Uh, And you have those also that uh, invite you to a two-night stay free at this place or that place. And with invitations like those, typically all you have to do is attend a no-obligation presentation on a -a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity, which is usually a multi-level marketing business or a timeshare, right? I love also how they always greet you by name in the advertisement. Right. Hi, Corey. Trying to make you feel as if they didn't just send this same thing to every house on your street, in your neighborhood, possibly in the entire city. But it's a, uh, um, a special invitation. So, of course, the letter is personalized. The terms of the invitation also are always specific. The check is only good towards the purchase of a new or used car, always with your trade-in. It's never good towards the purchase of a used car without a trade-in. The timeshare is always only good at this location during this time of year, never the location and time of your choosing. In our text this morning, we'll see another kind of invitation. 
And like the invitations we just mentioned, there are terms in place, terms that have been set by the one who sent the invitation. And this invitation will see confirmation as Moses reads uh, to Israel. Moses reads rather, and Israel confirms the book of the covenant, a covenant that God made. We'll see consecration as sacrifice is made and sin is atoned for, an atonement that God put in place. And we'll see communion as worship leads to fellowship, fellowship that God initiated. Let's look to God's word. If you have your Bibles open, Exodus 24, uh, we'll go ahead and read our text this morning in, it, in its entirety, 1 through 11. Then he said to Moses, come up to the Lord, you and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and 70 of the elders of Israel and worship from afar. Moses alone shall come near to the Lord, but the others shall not come near and the people shall not go up with him. Moses came and told the people all the words of the Lord and all the rules and all the people answered with one voice and said, all the words that the Lord has spoken, we will do. And Moses wrote down all the words of the Lord. He rose early in the morning and built an altar at the foot of the mountain and 12 pillars according to the 12 tribes of Israel. And he sent young men of the people of Israel who offered burnt offerings and sacrificed peace offerings of oxen to the Lord. And Moses took half of the blood and put it in basins. And half of the blood he threw against the altar. Then he took the book of the covenant and read it in the hearing of the people. And they said, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do and we will be obedient. And Moses took the blood and threw it on the people and said... Behold the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. Then Moses and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu and 70 of the leaders of Israel went up and saw the God of Israel. There was under his feet, as it were, a pavement of sapphire stone like the very heaven for clearness. And he did not lay his hand on the chief men of the people of Israel. They beheld God and ate and drank. The text begins with the invitation, but this invitation, or rather, this is an invitation unlike the junk mail we received earlier. This isn't an invitation that you ignore, that you throw in the trash, or that you send through the shredder. This invitation came from God himself as an invitation that gives, uh, that he gives rather to a specific party. Exodus 24 and 1 tells us that the designated party included Moses and Aaron and his sons, Nadab and Abihu, along with the 70 elders of Israel. Verse 2 tells us there was general invitation, as he said to uh, uh, Aaron and his sons and the 70 elders, you can come up so far and a VIP section because Moses was allowed to come up to the Lord. But others still, the rest of the people, the scripture says, shall not come up to him. We also see the purpose of this invitation. And there was no sales event, no multi-level marketing business, and no timeshare opportunity. This was an invitation to worship. Again, with the terms being set by the one who has given the invitation, the worship gathering would include a declaration and acceptance of God's word a sacrifice and sanctification of God's people in the time of fellowship with the guest of honor, being God himself. 
This worship begins with the reading of what is called the Book of the Covenant in verse 7. This is a reference to Exodus chapters 20 through 23 and would include uh, not just the Ten Commandments, but also uh, the laws that followed regarding altars and slaves, restitution, social justice, Sabbath, and festivals. The word is read and the people affirm by saying all that the Lord has spoken, we will do. The second time they affirm, they add to that, we will be obedient. This was followed by what is called the blood of the covenant in verse 8. Verse 4 of the same chapter tells us that Moses built an altar and assigned a group of young men to sacrifice oxen for burnt offerings and for peace or fellowship offerings. One commentary shares this about these offerings. The burnt offering or the whole offering is an offering in which an entire animal was consumed by fire. Nothing was left. The whole offering was given over to God. The costly sacrifice represented full atonement for sin and total dedication to God. The other sacrifice mentioned in these verses represented peace with God, and thus it was called the fellowship offering. Unlike the burnt offering, the fellowship offering was not consumed to the flames or consigned to the flames, rather, but was grilled until tender and then served for dinner. But before any of this could be done, the blood had to be drained. Blood from the fellowship offerings was carefully collected in large bowls and then sprinkled. The commentary goes on to say this. This was the most important part of the ceremony. Moses took half the blood and sprinkled it on the altar and half the blood and sprinkled uh, on the people. This covenant was not signed but sealed in blood which showed the whole arrangement was a matter of life and death. Keeping the covenant meant life would ensue. Breaking it led to the spilling of blood and to death. After the blood, again, Moses would read the book of the covenant before the people, and they would affirm, saying, all the Lord has said we will do. The gathering ends with a great display of God's grace and a manifestation and a meal. Verse 9 tells us that the invited party saw the God of Israel and that he did not lay his hand on them. Verse 11. One scholar noted that this was, uh, uh, or rather this is, one of the most surprising events in the whole Bible. Because looking to God was supposed to be fatal. Referring to Moses' request uh, in Exodus 33 to see God's glory. God's response to Moses was, I will make all my goodness pass before you. This is verse 19 of 33. Going on to say in verse 20, you cannot see my face for no man shall see me and live. But in Exodus 24, 10, the reference is to the feet of God and not the face. It says, and they saw the God of Israel there was under his feet, as it were, a pavement of sapphire stone like, like the very heaven for clearness. Now, this is in no way to diminish whatever manifestation it was that they saw, because whatever it was that they saw of God, it was enough of a manifestation for Scripture to note that they saw God and lived to tell about it. So hearing of Israel's worship experience in the wilderness, who's ready? To attend a service that's at least two days long where everybody is sprinkled in blood. No? Amen. I didn't think so. 
While this was, while our experience may not be Israel's experience, there are three things that I feel we can learn uh, from their experience that we want to share with you guys this morning. The first thing to note is that our invitation is a little different from the one that we see in Exodus 24. Instead of Moses, our mediator is Jesus. And because we have a different mediator, we are not limited to access to God as we saw Aaron and his sons and the 70 elders were. We are not forbidden to come up to God, amen, and worship. Today we come through the one and only mediator between God and man, the man Jesus Christ, 1 Timothy 2 and 5. Through Jesus, we gain direct access to God. No one else needs to or can go to God on our behalf. We meet with him face to face in and through the person of Jesus Christ. So three lessons from Israel's wilderness worship. Number one, we must affirm the word of his covenant. But for us, we're not talking about the book of the covenant that Moses read before the people. We're talking about the word made flesh. Hear what John 1 records concerning this word. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness to the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own and his own people did not receive him, but to all who did receive him. Who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Verse 14 says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as the only son of God from the father, full of grace and truth. His name is Jesus. Amen. Scripture says he is the invisible image or he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rules or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. Colossians 1 and 15. Philippians 2 and 9 says this, Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue should confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Another text says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. God doesn't call you and I to confirm a book, a covenant. God calls us to confirm his son. Amen. Lesson number two. So lesson number one, again, we must affirm uh, the book of his covenant or affirm his word, his word being his son, Jesus, whom he sent to earth for us. Number two, we must acknowledge the sacrifice that was made for our sanctification. 
Hebrews 9.22 says, without the shedding of blood, there can be no remission or no forgiveness for sin. We can't walk in covenant or in fellowship with God without there being a remedy for sin. And if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us, John, 1 John rather, 1 and 8 tells us. Romans 3 and 23 saying, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. It's not a question as to uh, whether or not we have sinned. It's about us acknowledging what God has done on our, behalf, on our behalf, rather, because of our sin. He offered his son. He himself bore our sins, Jesus, in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed, 1 Peter 2, 24. And it wasn't just that he died, family. It was how he died. He died on a cross. Sam Storms, pastor of Bridgeway Church, shares this regarding the cross. The cross was itself the embodiment and emblem of the most hideous of human obscenities. The cross was a symbol of reproach and degradation, humiliation and disgust. It was aesthetically repugnant, in a, repugnant, repugnant. In a word, the cross was obscene. The cross was far more than an instrument of capital punishment. It was a public symbol of indecency and social indignity. Crucifixion was designed to do more than merely, merely kill a man. Its purpose was to humiliate him as well. The shame associated with crucifixion was so intense that it was expressly forbidden for a Roman citizen to be executed in this manner. Storm goes on to say a crucified Messiah was a contradiction in terms. One can have a Messiah or one can have a crucifixion, but one cannot have a Messiah who himself was crucified. The concept of the Messiah evoked images of power and splendor and triumph, whereas that of the crucifixion spoke of weakness, degradation, and defeat. The offense of the cross came from the fact that the cross itself was a visible symbol of, and physical embodiment, rather, of moral shame. Jesus died not only for our guilt and our sin, but also for the shame of those sins. Galatians 3 and 13, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. You see, family, this wasn't just about sin. Yes, God is holy and he is righteous and he is just. And because he is all these things, there must be an answer for sin. But the cross was more than just sin. If you've ever felt broken and devalued, the cross was for you. If you've ever felt shame or humiliation, the cross was for you. If you've ever felt that life has just cursed you, the cross was for you. He took all of it. Our sin, our shame, our humiliation, our guilt, our brokenness, he took it all and nailed it to a cross and buried it in a borrowed tomb only to rise from that tomb and ascend to the Father where he sits daily making intercession for us that we might no longer live in the shadow of our sin and our shame, but in the light of his glory. Lesson number three, 
accept his invitation to worship and fellowship. In Luke 14, 16 through 24, Jesus teaches using the parable of the great banquet. In it, Jesus shares about a man who sends out an invitation to, uh, excuse me, rather, a man who is preparing for a great banquet and invites many guests. He sends out well in advance the invitations as was custom. Then as the day approached, he would send out a more personal invitation. God issued a personal invitation of salvation and fellowship to all of us in the person of Jesus Christ. The question is this, what are we going to do with our personal invitation? Will we treat it like the other unsolicited junk mail? Will we simply throw it away? Will we shred it, never reading it, never looking to it, never considering it? You see, you can't buy nor work your way into fellowship with God. Scripture declares that it is the grace, or rather by grace, that we have been saved through faith. Through faith, excuse me, not of yourselves, lest any man should boast. It's the gift of God. Fellowship comes only by accepting God's invitation. Remember, the terms are set by the one who gives the invitation. Jesus says still in Luke 14, come for everything is now ready. But according to scripture, instead of receiving the invitation joyfully, they all began to make excuses. The first said, I had bought a field and I must go out and see it. Please have me excused. Have we used excuses or rather possessions as an excuse to reject God's gift, to reject God's invitation? Another said, I have bought five uh, uh, yoke of oxen and I go to examine them. Please have me excused. Still another said, I have married a wife and therefore I cannot come. And yes, we have possessions we want to enjoy. And yes, we have, uh, we have to invest time in our work and in our businesses and in our families. And we acknowledge that these are all good things. Amen. Scripture says, uh, he that findeth a wife find a good thing. Obtain the favor of the Lord. These are good things, but if our possessions, our work, or our businesses, even our familiar relationships are keeping us from fellowship with God, then they come at too high a cost. So how long, if we are, how long will we allow excuses to stop us from accepting God's invitation? Not one person in the parable expressly or overtly refused his invitation. They simply made excuses, reasons why they couldn't come. However valid we feel our excuses might be, no, we have to know what we are rejecting. Rejection of his invitation means exclusion from heaven. It means exclusion from the marriage supper of the Lamb, the very thing that's being pictured here in Luke 14. It means exclusion from the inheritance that was promised to you by God, prepared for you through Christ and sealed for you by the Holy Spirit. It means exclusion from the place that Jesus has gone to prepare for you, John 14 tells us about. It means exclusion from eternal joy and worship, fellowship in the very presence of God with God. It means exclusion from the comfort and care that he gives to us here and now by his spirit and 
through the body of believers. Upon hearing that all of those who he extended invitation to did not accept his invitation, Luke 14 records these words, and we're working to a close. Go out quickly to the streets and lanes of the city and bring in the poor and crippled and blind and lame. And the servant said, sir, what you have commanded has been done and still there is room. And the master said to the servant, go out to the highways and hedges and compel compel people to come that my house may be filled. I want you to hear these words. There is still room and in 23 my house may be filled. God isn't denying access to people like we saw, access to himself like we saw with Moses and the, uh, or rather the uh, Aaron and his sons and the other, the 70 elders and even the rest of Israel, telling them that they can only come so far. God through Christ is earnestly seeking to give access to who would all come to him. Familiar text, for God so loved the world that whosoever, it's an open invitation, whosoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. A high price, the very death of his son was paid to give us access to him. Will we come? Luke's account ends with a severe statement for those who reject God's invitation. Verse 4 of uh, 24, rather, of 14. For I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste my banquet. This life we have opportunity. This life. Scripture says it's the goodness of God that draws us to repentance. This again just demonstrates the great links that he goes to. To draw us. But no one who rejects God's invitation will taste of his goodness in the life that is to come. So what is your response? Maybe you're here today and you say, well, I've accepted the invitation. Well, your assignment is to fight to be consistent in drinking from the well of his word. Don't get caught up in the deception that you are where you are by your own merit. Remember that your life is not your own, but you have been bought with a price and make fellowship with him a priority. You know how easy it is with all the obligations of work and family to drift rather than to be drawn. You have to be intentional and protect that which is most important. Or maybe you're here today and you know you haven't accepted God's invitation. Know that no excuse is a valid excuse. I'm too busy. Or one pastor said it. Busy stands for bound under Satan's yoke. You'll never have the time if you don't make time. And we always make time for the things that we consider important, right? I'm not good enough. None of us are. That's why we need Jesus. I don't know enough. I've recently heard a brother say, family, his riches are unsearchable. Scripture says we know in part, we see in part, but we come by faith, trusting that what he offers is enough to cover what we don't know. And so we offer Christ to you.
Whether you say, I've accepted his invitation, continue to, 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 to run the race. Be diligent. Or if you say, I don't know him, we offer Christ to you. Would you pray with me? Great God and King, we thank you for who.